0: use our Psalm 138 as our launch pad this morning into some other thoughts. Thinking this morning, the title of this morning is Warrior Worship. We've already maybe experienced a little bit of that as we've come, as we've praised, as we've sung to the, to the Lord today. Psalm 138, a psalm that I'm believing is key for us as church this season that we are in says this. I'm just going to read verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, small g inverted is so important, I will sing your praise. King David dictates that before the gods, I'm going to sing your praise. You know, as we've read it before, as he goes on in the psalm, he he says that he longs for the other kings of the surrounding nations, that they would experience, that they would praise the Lord. But before he gets to that place, he recognizes that he needs to bow down, that he needs to worship God with all he has and with all that he can give. But he does it not just amongst those or before those who are Gathered, if you like, in a temple or in a a palace setting. Not even amongst those who might be in the nation or in the surrounding nations looking on or listening on to what might go on, but he recognizes that as he worships and as he praises, that there is a spiritual element to what he does. That there are foreign deities, spiritual powers, authorities that might be watching on, that might be wanting to prevent him or might be even causing an attitude or, of fear or maybe even a seeping apathy that might want to stop him praising or that might want to stop him praising with his whole heart. Yeah? It's one thing to not sing. I mean, it's another thing to can't sing. It's one thing to not sing. It's one thing to half-heartedly sing. But what the Lord is looking for wholehearted worship. We're going to be looking at that. I think Fiona's going to be looking at that in a couple of, couple of weeks' time. He adopts the posture of a warrior worshiper in his wholehearted praise. He sings knowing that, that, that more than just heaven is his audience, that physical and spiritual enemies were listening in, and that the authority and the declaration of the praises that he brought to the living God would bring a heavenly change to earthly situations. He knew that what he was doing was more than just singing. He knew that as he praised, as he declared who God was, his God in the middle of his situation, but also in the middle of their situations, that he might expect things to shift, that he might expect things to change, that he might expect things to be different. As his eyes are on Jesus, as his heart is full, as his lips are declaring with power and with an authority, with an expectation that God's reign, that God's rule might be lived out through his life, his life as a worshiper, his life as a warrior, his life as a king, his life as a child of the living God. The gods that he faced were the deities of the surrounding nations. Now we know some of them. We know Baal. We know Asherah. We know Molech. They would sacrifice children in the fire to Molech. Asherah was a fertility god. Baal, they thought, would be the, the, the lord or the god of, of, of thunder and of, and of heaven and fertility and of seasons and, and things like that. And David recognizes that there are spiritual audience that was listening to him. Yet he says, "Before the gods, I will sing your praise." I wonder where you find yourself living out of today. I wonder what's going on in the environment or even the atmosphere of your life. Those things that might want to curtail your praise, that might want to drain your heart they might want to stop you in your tracks, prevent you, cause an attitude of fear to be in the place to stop you entering in and worshiping God. Maybe there are some physical enemies that are around about you, around about the circumstances of your life or those close to you. And you know That you're called to love that person because there is a force that's working through the circumstance and the situation to try to bring about something wrong, something bad, something that's going to harm you, something that's going to hurt you, something that's going to stop you. You know, it's often been said, Malcolm and I were even saying that just before, we're called to to love the sinner, but hate the sin, aren't we? We're called to be in that place where we're going to trust God in the middle of it. And there may be some enemies that's around about that aren't necessarily physical, but they're enemies of your soul. There might be some enemies that are wanting to, well, we've got an enemy of our soul who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, don't we? Jesus tells us that about, about, about the enemy, it's about Satan. We've got our flesh that wants to rise up and do our own thing rather than doing the God thing. We maybe want to, you know, an enemy of our soul that we, we ourselves sometimes want to self-destruct. But before the gods. Before those things, we'd want to hold us back, keep us down, shut our mouths, not have us living in the fullness of God. We will sing praise wholeheartedly to God. It's more than community singing, isn't it? What we've done this morning is more than just having a, hey, we're going to have a wee sing song. The beat's going to be good. The tunes are going to be great. And it's going to be uplifting. And we're going to go out with a smile on our face. Well, three of us. Uh, <laughs> That we're going to have those moments where it's going to be great. Yeah, we're going to feel, yeah, it's good. It's more than community singing. Praising of their whole heart before the gods, this warrior worship. It's also more than just cranking up the volume 10. I mean, I unashamedly like it loud. That's, that's, that's me. Yeah, I, I, like it, I like it loud. You know, that's where it sits. You know, it sits well, well, well with me. And, and it's, but it's not just about how much we can shout how much we can turn up the praise volume. We have sung songs, not just to fill time make us feel better. We have sung songs because there is a greater purpose of declaration, of praying scripture, or singing scripture, of reminding ourselves who God is, but also more than just reminding ourselves of the love of God. There is a power in praise that impacts the heavenly realm. Now, we don't see demons in every, behind every cornflake bowl, do we? You know, we don't, we don't think for one moment that Satan in the demonic realm is anywhere near as powerful as God, but we do recognize that Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking who he might devour. We do recognize that we have an enemy of our soul, that we need to come to God, but we, there's a host of heaven who would want to fight for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul writes to that church there that says, for we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We're called to move in the opposite spirit. You'd be saying, Gordon, how come my singing can affect what goes on in my life? Gordon, how come when I I sing a song about God that it may make a spiritual difference? because it comes with declaration, because it comes with power, because you're singing who God is. You're reminding yourself, oh, what, what, what is going on in heaven is coming to coming in earth and being made manifest. You invite the kingdom of God to advance and extend in your life over that situation, over that circumstance that wants to hold you back, that wants to stop you in your tracks and wants to prevent you from being all that God wants you to be. Now, it's really easy for us to act in the natural, isn't it? You know, somebody kind of looks at you the wrong way and you're getting the jacket off. I tell you, Hugman A co-op in Calder Road. There was fisticuffs flying. I'm there because we need a loaf of bread and milk just in case it ran out, you know, because no shop's open after New Year's Day for a month, you know. And I'm there, and all of a sudden, because the the guy behind the counter was going to charge the guy five pence for a carrier bag He's shouting and bawling, and using all kind of words that I had never heard before, uh, to, to him. And the next thing is some of the guys in the queue are giving it move it. They wanted on, so all of a sudden the conflict is no longer with the guy behind the cash him, I bet you he was happy, but between them, but I tell you, jackets were off, shopping was getting thrown down, and and, and there was there, there was uh, some of that. Not me, by the way. I was like that, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3, our weapons aren't the weapons of the world, I thought, in the words of Muhammad Ali, you ain't going to spoil this pretty face, <laughs> but how come we, re- we find it so easy to react in a way that isn't God honour? and we may not be at the point of kind of, kinda, you know, unloading on somebody with, with our best uppercut or anything like that, but we might want to say things. We might want to react in a way that isn't them. We might harbor something in our heart that isn't fitting and keeping with our walk with the Lord. Remember what the Holy Spirit's already reminded us of, of the little things. And often for us, it's the little things. God's with a small g that want to stop us, that want to prevent us. We move in the opposite spirit. There is a power in our praise. Now, I've got to say in 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 10, I do think that Paul's context there is dealing with intellectual and theological arguments, but I want to say the principle is the same. We come at it with a different way, with a different heart, with a different attitude. There are different heavenly weapons at our disposal. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this, excuse me, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil that's in the heavenly realms. He then goes to talk on the armor of God. Just a few verses before that, he's spoken about what it is to not get drunk on wine, but instead, you know, to to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul recognizes as they go into battle, as they wrestle not against flesh and blood, there's a need for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a need for us to be overflowing in praise, and there is a power that comes and can cut through. There's a need for us to stand. And after we've done everything to stand, to stand. But I want to encourage you to stand with your hands up and your mouth open, overflowing in praise to the Lord. Do you know that the, one of the words for, for, for praise, um, that, that yada word that's there has the, has the connotation of hands being lifted. That's why we lift our hands in praise, an exhortation to one greater than us. So of a fullness of who we are. Some of you say, how do I come in there and it's like exercises? Is, is, is this like the exercise? You know, oh no, no, it's, it's part of our praise. We lift our hands, crying out to God, praising the Lord. The good news is, and I want to take you to a couple of scriptures, as we raise our sights and take aim at the right target, because often we'll unload on the person when actually what's happened is that we need to get in praise. We need to get in prayer because there is a force, there is an enemy that's operating through that person, through that situation, through that circumstance, and they maybe even don't even know what's going on. We need to come before God and battle with what's going on or allow him to battle on our behalf. You know, Father God has got a praise strategy for every opponent that you may face. But I want to tell you, it does come at a cost. you know what the cost is? The cost is your obedience. Turn with me if you'd like to, to Joshua um, chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 tells the story of the fall of Jericho, and we've already sung something about it, of walking around these walls. The children of Israel have been in the the wilderness and been in the desert for, for a number of years. And it's now time for them to enter the land. It's now time for them to inherit the fullness of all that God had promised their forefathers, the patriarchs, down through the ages. And and Joshua is the man. One of the spies that went into the land came back with a good report. One of the spies that lasted of that generation dying off in the wilderness. Man of faith. Yet there's a battle, there is a city with thick walls, the city of Jericho. In like fact, some folks, historians and archaeologists have said that, that the city walls were so thick you could maybe even ride a chariot around it. Heavy walls, thick walls that, that would be there. And Joshua chapter 6 says that Jericho was tightly shut up because the Israelites, because the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. But yet it stood between them and inheriting a city, citadel, a stronghold, that was between them and their inheritance, the promise of God, ever felt like that? You've got something that God has promised to you, been promised to you through the word of God, through prophetic, you know, somewhere where you know that God is calling you to, but yet there seems to be an opposition, a stronghold, something that is there, that is stopping you from going forward. And you've, you've thought about doing this, that, the next thing, and it just hasn't worked. You feel in God that you're almost at like, wait to hear what he says. Well, Joshua waited to hear what, he, what the Lord said. It says there in verse two, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast in the trumpets, make all the people give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. And then it, begin, it goes on and kind of talks about that. Lord, what are we going to do to fight this battle? You're going to tune up the band. I'm sorry, God. Yep, yeah, but that's going to be a good marching beat, arousing into battle. No, no, no. You're going to tune up the band. In fact, you're going to do nothing. You're going to go on a march. You're going to march around the city walls Now, anybody who's ever watched anything medieval, you know, reenactments on the TV or stuff like that, know that when those are on the battlements and those that are underneath it, where would you rather be? On the battlements or underneath it? You'd be on the battlements. Why? Because you've got a superior position because those down below are vulnerable. You could be throwing all sorts. You could be bows and arrowing. You could be throwing molten rocks or or, or whatever it is that could be going on. You could be causing some carnage to your enemy right there. And God says to to Joshua, you and the guys are to circle the city saying nothing. Oh, but by the way, you're to get some of the priests, I bet they were happy. And you're to get them to have some ram's horns. You know, priests would use those ram's horns to to, to declare fast or to declare celebrations, to declare, you know, worship in the presence of of the Lord being there and say, you know, want them to go out and to march and oh, take the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the wooden box Acacia wood overlaid with gold, it's got the symbols in it, you know, the, the, the tablets of stone, it's got Aaron's budding staff, it's got the, you know, the, bit, some of the manna that's in there, you know, and, and those symbols that speak of freedom, that speak of deliverance, but also speaks of the, of, of the presence of God, the, the mercy seat, the covering that was there that would be sprinkled with blood. All that was of God was symbolized in the ark of the covenant, of the promise of God. So I want you to take that and I want you to march around the city once a day. What? Because sometimes in order for us to get God's strategy, we need to ditch all of our strategies. And I think that God's number one priority in life is to get us to trust him. Because when he has our trust, he has everything of us. And when he has our trust then he can fully use us, for all of his glory and for all of his purposes, and we can truly be fulfilled as we step out in in those moments. But in order to step out in place of trust, then it has to be nothing of ourselves and all of him. Which means what they were used to, how they had been trained, would need to go. We need to be shelled for a moment. If you get folks who are fiery tempered, if you get folks who are spoiling for a fight, the last thing they want to be told is you're to do nothing (laughs) for a week. But you're going to be out there in a place where you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to know that you are vulnerable, but will you trust me? will you trust me that I've got a strategy, says God? Will you trust me that I'm bigger than the opponent? I'm stronger than the walls. I'm fiercer than their army would be. As I say, God's strategy may make you feel vulnerable, exposed, sometimes daft and silly at the things that he might ask you to do because it's Not quite in keeping with our very prim and proper box that we want to put God in. This was not the Israelites' code for battle. This is not how they'd done it before. This was not an SES-style covert operation or anything like that was going to be happening of them. Burrowing under the walls or trying to chip away at the walls to make it weaker. This was the sound of trumpets declaring the presence of God and a shout to the Lord at the right moment. This was an opportunity for them to sheath their swords and take up their trumpet of praise. I want to ask you, will you follow the leading of the presence of God wherever he would take you? However he would want you to do that, even if it makes you feel vulnerable, exposed, daft, and silly. Even if it's not flowing in your your natural gift, because some of these warriors had been trained to be a warrior from when they were small in their natural gift. Will you be willing to be vulnerable in the sake, for the sake of the victory that God wants to bring in your life and situation as you pr- declare that praise? Will you have a shout in your heart that is of who God is and of what he can do? Will you allow him to fill you with that shout? Verse 16b into 17a says, Shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. What if we made that our, our motto in our prayer gatherings? As we came before the Lord, as we come to gather as church to pray and to connect in and, and prayer and to ask for heaven to move in our city. What if we came with an attitude that says, you know, the word of the Lord is, I'm going to shout for the Lord for he has given you the city. Not just Jericho, what about Edinburgh? And not just Edinburgh, what about this nation of Scotland? Because Jericho was the key to the rest. The city, then all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. What if that framed our prayers and our our prayers would be framed in the city is already the Lord's, the city is going to be devoted to the Lord. These are some oh moments, some oh-oh when they realized what they had to do, some oh really when the strategy began to be unfolded, the oh me moment when actually you want me to go where God's and the okay of obedience, where it's actually I'll do it because you said it, God. What stands between you and your inheritance in God? What stands between you and being fully alive in the things of God? It might be a habit, it might be a situation, it might be a shame, it might be an opposition of, of someone or something that stands before. Are you willing to, do, to hear God's strategy? Are you willing to be where the, where the presence of God is leading you? Are you willing to circle that city once, Are you willing to circle that city twice? Are you willing to circle it the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time? At some point, these these priests in the army and folks are going to be, come on, Joshua. (laughs) When's it time? What would have happened if just one of them had acted out of frustration and hadn't been in time in a God? But they trusted the word of God. At the right time, the long blast and the trumpet was given and the shout was raised. You need to raise a shout over your life, over the walls that stand between you and the things of God, over the walls that are up on this city that stop so many people hearing the good news of Jesus. We maybe need to blow some trumpets. We maybe need to raise a shout and get God's strategy for these things. And if we need to blow some trumpets, if we need to raise a shout to deal with those things standing between us and the promise of God for our future, how do we deal with an enemy who wants to steal from us and even destroy us? A few pages over in your Bible into 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 23, probably one of the, the most famous passages when it comes to warrior Worship. And it's the account of King Jehoshaphat. What an awesome name, King Jehoshaphat. In chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles, in verse 1, it says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Munites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazon Tamar, that is in Gedai.'" Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord for he proclaimed a fast and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord and he said in front of the courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our forefathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, power and might are in your hand No one can withstand you. O God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it ever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us. And save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir. Whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us. By coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh our God will you not judge them. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children, little ones, stood up before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asa. And he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you to do. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz. And you'll find them there at the gorge of the desert of Jeru. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your possessions. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, posture of worship, with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As he set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing of the Lord, sing to the Lord, and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness, as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. We're going to leave it just there. How do we deal with an enemy who wants to steal from us and even destroy us? The enemy that sometimes at the borders and the boundaries of our life that begins to encroach upon the territory that God has given us. Well, Jehoshaphat learned some things in God that I think he wants us to to understand and want us to take on. What does he do when he doesn't know what to do? He calls a holy assembly. He says, people of God, we need to get together. People of God, we need to seek the face of God. This isn't about just a physical strategy. This is about a spiritual strategy to answer it. He calls a holy assembly. He declares a time of fasting. He petitions God. He reminds the Lord about his past. You know, it's okay to remind God, remember what you've said in the past, Father? He doesn't forget, but he likes us to remember that. He declares his need of God. And I say quite often in this place, when we come to the end of ourselves, we get to the beginning of God. He says in verse 12, we are powerless He's done a quick head count and he sees what they've got and what he's got and he sees what they've got. He says, they're going to beat us hands down. Even on our best day, they're going to beat us. We are powerless. What do we do? God, you've promised all this stuff. God, you've given us this. You've established us. But now it seems as though it's going to be stolen out of our hands. Felt like that. God, what do we do? God, what is your strategy? He prays an awesome, theologically sound prayer and invites the Lord's solution. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. It's a godsend for every pastor and every leader and everyone who's got any responsibility or anybody who's ever faced a problem. Who's empty of all their good stuff, of all their tries and everything they've done. Who have racked their brains and emptied their heart and are now at their wits' end to say to the Lord... We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And who knows if our eyes are on God, then it's not on the problem. If our eyes are on him, then it's not on the enemy. He'd been distracted by the attention and the plans of the enemy. His eye, his line, his vision had been diverted into something else. And all of a sudden he realizes, I don't know what to do concerning them, but I know somebody who does. My eyes are on you, Lord. All of a sudden, his vision is raised, physically and spiritually. All of a sudden, he's considering the things of God. The battle, he then begins, the the, the answer comes to him through the prophetic word, and he says, the battle belongs to the Lord. I wonder how many times we fight battles where actually the battle belongs to the Lord. And he doesn't want us to sally forth, he wants us to stand back. He doesn't want us firing right in there, he wants us declaring some praise. He wants his honor in him. Verse 17, he says, stand firm. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. It's like Ephesians 6 again, isn't it? Only centuries before. In a time when folks' constitutions aren't very strong, in a time when people will crumble and fall so quickly and so easily, I think there's a spiritual lesson in discipleship for the church to be able to stand firm, to stand strong, to stand tall. Oh, I wish. In the things of God. In the things of God. What does he do? He says, Worshippers, you need to go ahead of the army into the enemy's ground now. Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be lovely if God says, boys and girls, I'm your man. I'm going to take hold of those enemies. you away way back and pour yourself a nice latte. You sort yourself out, go and deal with the garden, go and watch the football, go and surf the net. I'll sort them out, it'll be okay. He doesn't, does he? God's strategy is, children, you're going to watch and learn. God's strategy is, that's obedience and faith. It's one thing to believe God's going to fight the battle. It's another thing to say, I'm going to take you out there so you can see the enemy. So you can see how big they are, so you can see how fast they are. But yet, your eyes aren't on that. Your eyes are going to be on me. And God tells them to go there. The word of the Lord says, you need to be there. And the worshippers need to be. So it's not even as though they're on their hands and knees, best commando style. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to peer round, you know, it's kind of like, and they're not going to know I'm there. Actually, the army's going to be heard and going to be seen from a distance as the worshipers are worshiping, saying, we're giving thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. We're giving thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Enemy that we're facing, we're giving thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. You may be stronger than me, but I give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. You may be more of you than there is of us, but I don't care. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord because His love endures forever. I wonder what enemy you're facing and needs to hear. You give thanks to the Lord because his love for you endures forever they're declaring who God was they're declaring who God is and they're beginning to declare what God is going to do that his love endures forever his love endures for them what are we learning we're learning that holiness sets God apart you're delivering so God he's a holy God he's an awesome God He's greater than the gods and the armies that they represented. We realize and we're learning that it's about eyes up and about our mouths open. The vision that we have need to translate into the voice that we raise. Verse 22 says, As they began to sing and praise that the Lord set ambushes against these men, and the opposition armies began to squabble, fight, and destroy themselves. I wonder how many times the Lord wants us to see his ambush for the enemy, but can't because we stumble into it. And he can't do all that he would want to do because we've gone headlong instead of waiting, hearing and knowing what his strategy is. It's about seeing the enemy, but standing back and singing, the battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever thing you're facing right now, whoever you're standing in the gap for right now, I want to tell you, it's not your fight it's not your fight. Stuff that's going on in the inside, actually, it's not your fight. Stuff that's going on in your heart, it's not your fight. Stuff that's going on in your head, it's not your fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. Will you worship him? As they sung and declared, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. They declared his testimony. And as I prep for this during this week, I just thought, is that not living out revelation? where it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony in Revelation 12 and 11. This is testimony lived out on a, on a battlefield. This is testimony lived out where God's saying, you're not to ambush them, I'm going to. This is testimony lived out when he's saying, it's about your song words, not your swords. Come on. The battle belongs to the Lord. Would you submit it to him this morning? He doesn't want to have to wrestle the battle out of your hands. Just give it to him. As we declare that the battle belongs to the Lord, we give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. There needs to be faith in our praise. Do we trust the statements that we sing and the God that we sing about? Do we trust them with it? We trust him that he's God. We trust him that he's big enough to be able to do it. The, the unchanging nature of God in our backstory, in our present, and also in our future. There's no "Go and get them, God" songs that's sung. I'd be singing, "God, go and get them. God, they're bigger than me. God, go and get them." But no, His love endures. Their eyes are on the Lord. One more time is can I escape from us, but. Flick forward in your Bible to, to Acts chapter 16. So we've seen what happened when there's something that's an obstacle and how we would praise through it. We've seen what's happened when there's, um, when, when there's an enemy that wants to encroach your borders and prevent you. But what happens when hope is gone and when tomorrow looks worse than today? We've got Paul. We've got Silas. And they've been flung in prison. They've just been doing the work of the Lord. They've been you know, been seeing people saved, seeing people set free, seeing people delivered from the power of, of Satan. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a moment of jailhouse rock. Long before Elvis was on the scene, a greater praise time that was happening in the prison. Read about it in Acts 16, verses 16 to 40. doesn't allow us to do all this. Needless to say, Paul and Silas, they are flung in prison, but I don't just mean kind of like lifted by the police and kind of one arm up the back, you know, collar being felt, cuffs and there you go. They are beaten. They are battered. They are flogged and then they're put in prison. You know, you think you've got it bad. I've got a picture of Paul and Silas. It says the crowds joined an attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praising, praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all the others in their house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. About midnight, Verse 25 says, Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God and other prisoners were listening to them. Black eyes, swollen lips, broken ribs, ripped flesh in their back, in sanitary conditions, cold because there's no clothes on on them, you know, feet sitting in an uncomfortable position in stocks, so they'd be having to to sit or lie upright, probably in very unsanitary conditions and in an inescapable location with unsavory company and with the worst of the worst vulnerable and what's ahead of them may well be worse than today. You may be facing the future not happy. You may be facing the future not really encouraged. You may be facing the future maybe it's a diagnosis, a prognosis or just stuff that's going on or that's looming in the horizon of your life and you're thinking I can't take this, I can't handle it. I want to encourage you to get your praise on. I want to encourage you at your midnight hour as Paul and Silas were. To be praying and to be praising God. I want to encourage you that as you pray and praise the Lord that others will be listening and fruit for the kingdom of God will come. You see, praise of God, praise to God invites the power of God into your hopeless situation. Paul and Silas, more than most, would have been able to have had a, a poor old me party, a palm, wouldn't they? If anybody was allowed to feel miserable about their condition, miserable about their status, miserable about all that was going on, it would have been these guys. We say, you know, almost got to pass out. Yep. We'll give you that one, that's allowed. But no, they did not allow their circumstances to stop them. They did not allow their physical limitations or the pain of their lives to stop them praising through it. They believed that God was able to do it. The earthquake shook the cell. I believe that praise started the earthquake. What if the power of the name of Jesus being lifted up, faith being exercised despite the situation? And the cry of who the Lord is that would catch the attention of heaven, that might shake the foundations of where you find yourself living right now, rips the door of the prison off and, and provides the shackles to be gone. And that thing that scares you concerning your future to just disintegrate before you. Because God is God. Because God is love. Because his love endures forever. I wonder, would you lift up a shout of praise to the Lord today? Would you lift up a cry and surrender your battle to the Lord today? Would you say, Lord, this in the natural appears hopeless, but I have hope in Jesus. And if you don't have hope in Jesus, he's only a prayer away. You might come in and it's the, the devastation that's happened like that jailer and saying, my life can be ended because I've got no hope. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be found wanting in this thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. And it provides an invitation to your household. Put your trust and faith in Jesus. Say sorry to him for all the wrong things you've done. Say thank you to him for the fact that he came and died for you. And begin to praise and rejoice and celebrate the goodness of God in the land of living. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Worship team, would you come back? Our, Our time has gone.